see what we've got a wonderful praise team. It's good to have you in the Lord's house today. I've been praying all morning, Lord, uh, fill this house not only with people, but with your spirit. And uh, we've got a pretty good crowd, and I know the spirit of God is here, and I'm so thankful for that. How many uh, college football fans we have out here? Any college football fans? Here's what I figured out. If you're a college football fan, it's best to have two favorite teams. <laughs> so you're not so depressed when you come to church on Sunday mornings, all right? Or something like that. So uh, anyway, hey, I'm glad that you're here. Let's pray right now and just ask God to uh, speak to us through his word. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for these people and this wonderful day. I pray, dear Lord, that as I uh, speak the word of truth on the outside, that your Holy Spirit would speak it into our souls. Help us, dear Lord, to be aware of the fact that uh, you're coming and you're coming soon, and we need to be ready for that. I love you, and I pray that today Jesus would be exalted, and as he is exalted, he would draw all men, women, boys, and girls to himself. We love you, and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I love the true story about a tourist in Switzerland. Never have been to Switzerland, but one day hopefully I'll be able to go there. This tourist was uh, riding the countryside on a bicycle, and he just happened to see this beautiful mansion on a picturesque lake. And as he rode by, he just he stopped riding his bicycle and just looked at the property because it was, it was absolutely breathtaking. Everything was perfect. The, the house was just picturesque. It was beautiful. The grounds were just, I mean, they were manicured, a manicured lawn. Flower beds were beautiful. The shrubbery was just, it was like it was out of a picture book. And he just stared at it and couldn't believe it. There was not a weed on the entire property. Can any of you say that about? <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was groomed to perfection. And about that time, he saw a man out working, and and so he he, he spoke to him and said, "Are you the gardener here?" And the man said, "Yes, I I am the attendant. I take care of the property." And and so the guy just complimented him, said, "How long have you been working here?" He said, "I've lived here for 20 years and taken care of the property." And the tourists asked. Well, does the owner of the property live here? And the gardener said, no, he, he seldom is here. And the tourist asked, well, in your 20 years, how many times has the owner been in residence? And he said, only four times, okay? only four times. And, and the tourist couldn't believe it. He says, this is absolutely mind-boggling to me because you keep this property so pristine. It's as if you were expecting the owner to be here tomorrow. Oh, no, said the gardener. Not tomorrow. I expect him to be here today. Hmm? And in our stories that we're going to look at in Matthew's gospel, chapter 24 and 25, Jesus tells us a series of six stories or illustrations to help us realize the implication of his second coming. He wants us to begin living as though we expect him to return, not next year, not next month, not next week, not tomorrow, but we are to live expecting Jesus to come back today. And so here is a series of six stories that have the same implication. Jesus Christ is coming back. Now, I know what you're thinking. Brother Will, you just spent three weeks on one parable. 
I mean, three weeks on one. There is no way in the world in 30 minutes you can tell us six stories when you just spent three weeks on one story. Let's try, all right? Let's try. We're, we're just going to take a, a flying approach over these six stories. Some of them are parables, but others are just stories. The first one is about a fig tree, all right? The first story is about a fig tree. It appears in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse number 32. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Let me just stop right there and talk about this. The fig tree in ancient Palestine was the first tree that would bud and blossom in the springtime. And when it started budding and blossoming, you knew that the seasons were changing. It is now springtime and summer is right around the corner. Okay? So that's really important to understand this story. There is a change in seasons. When the fig tree starts budding, the seasons are a-changing. All right? You with me? Give me one of these. All right. Even so, Jesus said, when you see all of these things, you know that it is near. It's right at the door. So what's he talking about there? Well, all of these things he's referring to are the things that he had just spoken in chapter 24, from chapter 24, verse 1, up until now. What was Jesus talking about in Matthew chapter 24? He's talking about his second coming, okay? He's talking about the return of the Son of God when he is going to break the eastern skies open and come back for his church. And Jesus spends this entire chapter talking about the signs of the time. He even talks about this great tribulation that's going to come upon the earth. He talks about wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and, and earthquakes and all of these signs that are going to happen right before he comes back. And what Jesus is saying is this, you understand when these things occur, the Son of Man is about to come. Now, look at the next verse. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened. Now, here we come to an interpretive challenge. What did he mean by this? What, what generation is he talking about? If he's talking about the people who were right there, that generation, his disciples in that day and time, well, they've been dead for 2,000 years. So was he describing that specific generation, or should we take the word generation and apply it in a general sense? Because it can be applied that way. It can mean an age, a dispensation of time. And I think it's logical to interpret it that way. What Jesus is talking about here is the church age that we're living in. We call this the age of grace. God is giving all men the opportunity to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. We are in the age of grace. This is a period of time that God is being generous to us. And I think what Jesus was telling us here is that all these things are coming to pass. And we need to be alert 
We need to be aware of it. Our eyes should be open to the signs of the time, and we should stay alert, and we should be ready, because when all of these things are fulfilled, then Jesus Christ is coming again. So that's the first lesson, the lesson of the fig tree. We, we go into the second one. Am I going too fast for you? Here, here's the second story. He talks about the days of Noah. Let's look at this beginning in verse 36 of chapter 24. He says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor, nor the Son, the Son of God. The only one who knows the day and the hour is the Father. You know what? That quick time out. That, that ought to tell us all these people who have these prophecies that predict the exact time that Jesus Christ is coming. They don't know. They don't know. He could come at any time. That's what we need to understand. But for us to know the exact day and the exact hour, we don't know it. The angels don't know it. Jesus doesn't know it. Who knows it? Well, the Father does. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days, that is the days of Noah before the flood, People were doing all these things. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage. The, up to the day that Noah entered the ark, people were doing that. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and it took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be at the field. One is going to be taken, the other left. Two women are going to be grinding at the mill. One is going to be taken, the other left. Two guys are riding to work together down 540. One's taken, the other's left. The driver goes, the passengers stay. That, <laughs> and that's the point that Jesus is making right there. Uh, the in interesting thing about, about the days of Noah that, that Jesus refers to here is that Jesus does not emphasize one bit the people's sensuality and their sinfulness or the evilness that they lived in in the days of Noah. And we know that it was a perverse and evil generation in those days. Jesus doesn't talk about these people living in sin, their disregard for holiness, or the corruption that permeated the society of that day. No, his point here is that they lived unprepared for judgment. And they lived in total defiance to the message that Noah kept preaching. Well, that's interesting to me because I just look around <laughs> and I'll tell you what, people today are living their lives in total disregard of the imminent return of the coming of the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ and judgment that is coming on this world. Jesus' point is that we should be constantly ready for the Lord to come. We should be living in anticipation. We should be listening to the word of God. We should be listening to the preachers. We should know that the time is near. He says in verse 42, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord is coming back. So are you picking up the theme that we see in these two stories so far. Well, it continues. Story number three is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, uh, 43. It's the thief in the night story, okay? Here it is, the thief in the night. This is a great little passage of Scripture. 
It says this, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and he would not have let his house be broken into. Can anybody say amen to that? So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him to come. Just a quick question. How many of you have ever had your house broken into? Raise your hand if you've had your house Really? That, that, keep them up just for Really? Man. Wow. It's a bad thing to have your house broken into. You, you feel violated, don't you? I've never had my personal house, our house, broken into. Uh, when I was a teenager living in Lubbock, somebody broke into my mom and dad's house when I was at home. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, they busted down the back door, they pilfered through things, they took things. But what ticked my mama off more than anything is they opened her refrigerator and they pulled out makings for a sandwich and a two-liter Coke bottle and they, they fixed them a Coke and made them a sandwich and they ate it right there in her kitchen. And that made her madder than anything <laughs> because she was violated in that way. They broke into her refrigerator and pilfered through her stuff. You know, I've, I've, I've had churches that I've pastored that have been broken into since I've been here We've been broken into a couple of times. They, they didn't get away with too much, but, but people literally broke into the property. And man, it just, it, you know what? I don't know how it makes you feel, but it, it's upsetting when somebody violates you in that way and breaks into your house and goes through your stuff. And I guarantee you, if, if those of you who have been broken into, if you knew what hour that person was coming, that thief was coming, you'd have been ready for them with a two by four at the door. Yeah, 38, there you go. I, 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 when, I go off, when I go off and preach meetings, I talk big, you know, and, and try to sound bigger than I really am. But I've, I've got friends stashed in my house for that day when a thief breaks in and I'm there. And I'll introduce them to my friends. Mr. Colt, Mr. Ruger, Mr. Smith, Mr. Wesson, Mr. Browning. I got all those guys stashed around there to... To introduce them to my friends when they come in, yeah, or at least I'll call nine one one, you know. But that's the deal. If if we knew what time the thief was coming, we would be prepared for that. But you don't know. I mean, they sit out there in, the, in Lubbock. We know that they were setting out watching us. They knew when we were going to be gone. And the point that Jesus is making here is this: you need to be ready because you don't know when the Son of Man is coming. So you need to be ready. And then he goes on to the fourth story. It's a parable of a wise servant. And it says that we should not only be watching for the return of Jesus, we should be working before he returns. Look at, look at verse number 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Kind of like the story of the gardener in, in, in the Swiss Alps who was working diligently every day to take care of the property. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Why? Because he's working. He's doing his job. But suppose that servant is wicked and selfish 
and no good. And he says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him to come and at an hour when he is unaware of it. And here's what the master will do. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is brutal, isn't he? This owner is going to cut that servant up into pieces and put him with hypocrites where there is what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me tell you something, church. Whenever you read that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's a place you don't want to be. You don't want to go to that particular place. So in other words, here's the story. Jesus has left us to go back to heaven, right? He died on the cross, was buried in the tomb. He rose again. Now where is Jesus? He is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. But there is coming a day when he's going to come back for his church. All right? Are you with me? In the meantime, we are his servants. And he has left us in charge down here. He has given us a job to do. He has given us a kingdom to build. He has given us a task to complete. His mission has become our mission. And we are to be working for him. We are to be going out feeding people the word of God, ministering to people, trying to get as many people as we can to come into the kingdom of God. And we're going to be judged on whether or not we have been faithful to the task that God has called us to or whether we have been distracted by the world and sucked into that system unprepared for the return of Jesus Christ. So it, it just kind of brings a couple of questions to mind. What, what are the gifts and the resources and the talents that God has given to us? Who are the people that we should be ministering to and sharing the word of God with? What work has God called us to do? And are we doing the work he has called us to do? Are we being that wise servant, making good use of the time God has given us? And then we continue on. We get to the, the fifth story. This is another parable. This is the one about the ten virgins, virgins. And it's actually in chapter 25. So let me just say a word about that. When Jesus spoke this, there were, and, and, and when Matthew wrote it, there were no chapter divisions, nor were there verse distinctions. Those were given later on by translators, okay, just to help us know where to turn on Sunday mornings when the preacher said, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 25, all right? But when Jesus spoke this, it was just one long sermon. And so he's continuing this same train of thought about his second coming by telling this fifth story. Now, I'm not going to take time to read this long story to you this morning, but let me just give you the essence of the story of the ten virgins. There was a wedding planned, all right? And there were these ten bridesmaids, these ten virgins who had a very specific job. Their job was to go to a spot in the town and there with lamps wait until the bridegroom 
came by. And when he came by, they were to get up, light their lamps, and escort him to the bridal hall. So the ten virgins got there to the spot they were to wait, and the bridegroom didn't show up. And they fell asleep. All of them had their lamps, but five of them were wise young women. They brought extra oil with them. The other five, the Bible calls them foolish because they did not bring extra oil. They were unprepared. And so when the bridegroom was getting close, somebody yelled, here he is, here's the bridegroom. All the ten virgins woke up, they started lighting their candles, and guess what? Five of them didn't have enough oil. And so they begged the five wise ones, give us some of your oil so that we can go into the, to the wedding. But the wise ones said, no, if we give you our oil, we won't have enough and, and there will be no light. Go buy your own. And so they went to try to find some. But you know what? By the time they found some and got back to the wedding hall, the bride was already in the chambers. The doors were shut. And these girls were not allowed to come in. Why? Because they were unprepared. And, and here's what Jesus said in verse 13. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, i got to ask you, are you picking up what Jesus is putting down? I mean, we've had five parables, five stories, five illustrations, and they're all teaching the same thing. Jesus is coming back. You just don't know when it's going to be, but you better be ready. And that brings us to how, how many? What, what's the number we at? How many did I say there were? Wow. Can you believe it? See, I can do it. It can be done. Here in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, Jesus tells another story, a rather long illustration, and it's to drive home the same point. He is now talking about a master, a very wealthy employer, who, before leaving on a long trip, entrusted three servants with rather large sums of money that they were to take and invest and grow his money. Look at verse 14. He said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money. If you're reading a newer translation, it will call that a, a bag of gold. Okay? He gave him five bags of gold. Talents were equivalent to money. So he gave this guy a whole lot of money. Five talents or five bags of gold. To another he gave two bags of gold. And to a third man he gave one bag of gold. And then he went on his journey. And his instructions were, were explicit. You are to take my money and, and, and grow the money while I'm gone. Well, when he got back, here's what happened. The first man who had been given five bags of gold doubled the owner's money. And so he gave him back ten bags of gold. And I tell you what, it made the, the owner very happy. I mean, he was extremely happy. He said, well done. My good and faithful servant, you've been given charge of little, and now you've made much out of it. Well done. Good job. Way to go. I'm proud of you. Super. High five. The one who had given two bags of gold doubled it. 
had four. He gave his owner four bags of gold. He said, you gave me two. I've made some wise investments. Here's four. Owner was elated. You're awesome. Great job. Way to go. I'm proud of you. I'm promoting you. The third guy came. How many was he given? One bag of gold. Oh, boy. He failed the test. He said to the owner, I know you're a hard man. You reap where you didn't sow. You, you, you gain where you didn't invest. And I was afraid. So I went and buried your money. Here it is, one bag of gold. And I'll tell you what, the owner just lit into him. He said, you, you wicked, foolish man. I tell you what, wow. You know what? You, you could have at least put it in the bank and made a little bit of interest for me. But no, you didn't even do that. And, and here's what he said to the, the, the other servants. He said, I want you to cast this unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Be because he wasn't ready. He, he was unprepared for the master to come back home. So we have six different stories, all of them touching on the same general theme. Jesus is telling us the information about his soon return. And he gave, he gave us this so that it will make a profound impact on the way we live our life and our behavior. Now, the Bible does not give us prophetic information just to satisfy our curiosity or to distract us with sorts of endless, fruitless discussions on eschatological events. Not at all. I think we can sum it up by saying that the person who really processes these six stories that Jesus just told will be known by three attitudes. I mean, if you take serious the soon return of Jesus Christ, if you get it, if you understand what Jesus is saying and all the implications surrounding this, you're going to be known for three attitudes or three qualities. What am I talking about? Number one, the teachings of Jesus Christ should make us happy people. Now, I've not seen very many happy faces since I've been preaching this morning. Because you know what? This is heavy stuff, isn't it? I mean, it really makes you to stop and think. What I've seen is curiosity on your faces. You're, you're thinking more than you do on a normal Sunday morning. Right? And, and that is a good thing. But, but to be happy? Well, I really think this. If we study diligently the subject matter of the end times and the last days, it should make us happier people. When we know that Jesus is coming back for his children... When we realize that Jesus is coming back for his church to take us out of this world of sin and this world of suffering, it should put a smile on our face and joy in our hearts. I mean, just think about it. We're no longer going to have to worry about dying or suffering or the future. Why? Because we know what's coming and we know who's coming. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to live with that sense of happiness because we know we're living in the end days. I mean, we know Jesus could come back at any time. So I'll tell you what, we ought to be smiling. 
We are to be happy people because we're not going to have to put up with this old world too much longer. Amen. Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming back. Praise the Lord. So be happy. Number two, the teachings about the return of Jesus Christ should make us holy people. Holy people. 1 John 3, 3 says, Everyone who has this hope, the hope of the coming back of Jesus Christ, in him purifies himself, just as God is pure. So if the hope of the return of Jesus Christ is real in your life, it should make you be a pure person. It should make you desire holiness. If we have a sense of the Lord's return, I guarantee you, it's going to affect the way we live, the places we go, the words we say, the people we hang out with, the way we invest our money and our time and our talents. Because everyone who has this hope in them purifies themselves. We'll want to clean up our lives and live the way he expects us to live. I don't think you're getting this, so let me say it to you like this. If you knew that Jesus Christ is coming back today, I guarantee you there's some things you wouldn't do. There's some places you wouldn't go. There's some TV shows you wouldn't be watching. There are websites you wouldn't go to. There are words that you wouldn't say. And I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking to church people. <laughs> you know it? I'm telling you what. If you live with the anticipation that, you know what, like a thief, Jesus could come back right now. He could come back today. It's going to change the way you live, the way you behave, the way you respond to people. It's going to make you pure. Number three, the teachings about the return of Jesus Christ should make us hardworking. Not only happy, not only holy, but we would be hardworking people. We want to be about our master's business. We want to be found occupied doing the task that he has called us to do so that when he comes back, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've been working hard. You've been investing the time and the resources that I've given you. Way to go. Way to go. I'm proud of you. Come to heaven with me. I recently read a gripping story. I'd never read this story before, but it, it, it's about a terrible fire that occurred that took the lives of, of hundreds of people. It, it actually happened in a theater that was brand new on Randolph Street in Chicago. It happened way back in 1903. Uh, this was touted as a, uh, a fireproof safe because buildings burned up all the time back then, but th this was a safe building, supposedly, but here's the problem. Some of the backdrops were painted with flammable paint, and they didn't realize that. And so December 30th, 1903, at 3.15 p.m. at an afternoon matinee, there were 1,900 people in this theater for this production. Standing room only. And the unthinkable occurred. A lamp was tipped over. It caught one of the velvet curtains on fire that spread quickly to the backdrops with flammable paint on them. And the entire building went up like a, a, a box of matches. Poof. It was on fire. 
1,900 people in that theater. They panicked, and they literally trampled over each other trying to get out the exits. People trampled on top of each other until the bodies at the exit doors were 10 people high. Think about that. 600 people died. There was a man who was near the front, and he had to get through the back to get out. He made it out, but the way he made it out was crawling over the bodies of people who had been trampled. He, he made it out alive, but you know what? It, it wasn't long until what happened hit his mind and his conscience, and he could not believe how callous he had been because he kept having nightmares about the faces of women and little children that he literally was climbing over to get out to save himself. And he became deranged. He walked around the, the streets of Chicago muttering to himself this one sentence over and over and over again. He kept saying, I have saved no one but myself. I've saved nobody but myself. Ooh, how tragic. How tragic to stand before God one day. We made it to heaven, but how tragic to say to him, I've saved no one but myself. Guys, let me tell you, his mission should be our mission. We ought to be hardworking people. Why? Because we know he's coming back. We know Jesus is coming again. And we need to be telling people. We need to be telling people constantly. Our friends, our family members, people who we don't even know, we need to be telling them Jesus is coming. And you better be ready. You think, well, preacher, people think you're crazy. Well, you know what? Who cares? Who cares? I was cowboy shooting yesterday out at the old Fort Gun Club, and, and uh, we, we do these stages, and one of the stages is Kavanaugh Church. Uh, one of the guys in our church gave the money to build a, a church out there that we shoot out of, and it, it really is. It's called Kavanaugh Church. Y'all seen the sign? Kavanaugh Church, Preacher, Holy Smoke. That's the sign that's over it. And uh, I was kind of the posse marshal yesterday. There's about 16 guys shooting, and, and I would be the one who, who read the stage description of, of how we're going to shoot the stages. And, and we came to the church, and got, the guys who come shoot there all the time know it's going to happen. We get to the church, and before I read the stage, I give them a sermon. I mean, they're a captive audience. I mean, they're right there. They're in the church. I, I, I can't help it. i got to preach to them. And so I preached them a little sermon. Charlie, you know what I preached on? What I'm talking about today. I, I first started by saying to them, uh, uh, we have time for this, don't worry I'll give you, in a nutshell, my little sermon to him. I, I said, you know, have you ever been asked by somebody, who are you? Have you ever been, somebody ever asked you, who, who are you? I've been asked that a lot. And I, I've, there's a new song out on the radio that I just love. Here's, here's a good response that I have. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. And so I'm going to tell you guys about Jesus who saved my soul. And you need to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. Because you know why? Jesus is coming again. You don't know when he's coming, but he's coming back. And the most important thing is that you be ready when he comes back. 
And if you want to be ready, you can talk to me after we shoot this stage. And after I empty my Rugers. <laughs> and there it is. That's our mission. We are to tell people that Jesus is coming back. And you know what? Knowing that he's coming ought to make us happy, holy, and hard-working people. Jesus told us that the last days were going to be characterized by wars and rumors of war, by false prophets, by pestilence, by disease, earthquakes, famines, by worldwide persecution. But just when it appears that there is no hope left at all, take hope. Because at that moment, Jesus Christ is going to appear in the sky. He's going to bust that sky open, and he's coming back for his children. Now, Jesus said, you learn this through these stories. And he gave us these six stories. The fig tree, the days of Noah, the thief in the night, the faithful and wise servant, the ten virgins, and the wise and foolish stewards. And since all of these things must come to pass, what kind of people ought we to be? How should we be living? What should we be doing? Knowing the information we've discussed this morning, what kind of people ought we to be? Well, we ought to be happy because we're ready. We're looking forward to it. We ought to be holy. We must be purified. And number three, we need to be hardworking people so that when our Lord appears and looks at us, he will be able to say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will make you a ruler over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Can I tell you something? More than anything, you need to be ready for that day. And if you're not ready, I invite you to come today and receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you haven't been living for the Lord, if you're, if you're not ready for him to come back right now, you need to come back and get ready for him. You need to come to the altar and pray and make sure your soul is right. And then we need to be coming today praying for people that are lost. Because we all have lost family members and loved ones. People that we live next door to. People that we know who are without Christ and without hope. Let's come and pray for them today as well. Come and pray that this church would be a lighthouse in the River Valley. And that through the ministry of Kavanaugh Church, we would see hundreds, yes, thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ.